Welcome to the Language for Leading podcast with the founder and CEO of the Business of Leading Incorporated, Julian Sturton. Since the early 1990s, Julian has equipped leaders from across the globe with an operating system and real-world set of tools that have improved relationships on all levels, and the work has meant real success in business and life for so many. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and as Julian Sturton often says, conversations are our means to get things done. Conversations inspire actions and form agreements. Until there's conversation, nothing happens. You've got the Language for Leading podcast, and we're about to make things happen. Welcome, my friend. Great to sit down with you as always. You're looking dapper, and I know you're anxious to get started. And we've got a whole series of podcasts that have yet to come, and they'll be launched, and people can listen to them in their entirety forever and ever. But we thought it might be a good idea to let people know what's ahead. In a sense, a podcast table of contents. Yes, it's a bit like when you heard a book, a book that's been a bestseller, but you don't know the book. You go into a bookshop or you see the book on Amazon and you immediately want to find out what is the worthiness of your investment of the time of a book because you're a busy person. People are busy. So what I do, and probably what a lot of other people, is go to the table of content. So the language of leading has a table of contents, right? And that's what we'll actually go through and... and and, and list those there's items. one other thing that people do, and that's read reviews. So as this podcast series is developing, more and more of you are invited to rate and review this podcast. It means a lot to any podcaster to get these. First of all, it's constructive, but also it adds to the, to the numbers. So please, folks, when you're downloading and subscribing the podcast, The Language for Leading with Julian Sturton, make sure... You take an extra moment and provide us with a five-star review and a rating. So what is the table of contents? And then we'll get to today's topic. So let's uh, assume that the the listeners have heard many, many books. I think there's been about 50,000 books written about leadership. (laughs) Yes. So the point I'm making is that the language of leading is, is distinct. It's table of content. It isn't just a list of, of comments or typical, um, experiences that people have when they hear the word listening. So I use the word distinction because the following seven particular items are in fact distinct in and of themselves. So there's not just a typical table of contents. So I'll just run them off to begin with. The first distinction, if you were looking at a table of contents, has to do with the fact that people talk to themselves. We have two sides of a fence If we're the fence and we don't want to be on the fence, of course, we have to make a distinction between what we already know, our memory, which has been around for a long, long, long time. I refer to those background conversations. Mm -hmm. What they discovered scientifically is that for the last 40,000 years, we've heard the term frontal cortex. The frontal cortex apparently evolved about 30,000 years ago. So I refer to this key part of uh, the table of contents at the beginning is background and foreground conversations. That's the first element. The second piece comes a little bit from left center. So when they've heard about the reputation regarding the language for leading, they want to get a little bit intimate with it Mm -hmm. because they're intimate with themselves. So they want to find out exactly 
what is the language for leading going to provide for them that isn't provided in other different books of leadership? If there's been about 50,000 books on written on leadership, and there's, there's many, many courses at business schools and universities, and it's on the news in variable ways. So, of course, what we provide for people, which is the second distinction, are a list of questions. And these are key because our investment is to do with how we're going to actually handle the future. We've already been handled by the past. So the questions I'm talking about, there are eight particular questions, and these are the, one of the key parts, which is why this distinction is part of the table of contents. So they're called questions. And of course, the questions have been designed to fit the frame of reference in any particular pastime or occupation. So if you're a lawyer, we've designed the questions to fit for a lawyer. If you're a manufacturer, we've designed these questions to fit with someone who's in the manufacturing business. If you're a particular student who's now about to leave college and not quite sure as to what they want to do that would give the greatest return on investment called the future, then we've designed the questions for them. So the questions are not just questions that are typically based upon what somebody knows. These questions address and take into consideration what somebody does already know, Mm. what they've been good at, what works for them in their lives. And then the fourth part of these questions has to do with what they want to be remembered for further down the line. We mentioned this in one of the early podcasts. What do they want to have written on their tombstone? But most people wait until they're dead. Why wait until you're dead? Until you've actually been able to respond to such questions that are asking the particular person, what is it you'd like to achieve that's never, ever happened before? And why would that kind of result have a greater value mm-hmm. than just what you've been taught or told in a typical college setting or a typical business setting. So these are the questions, and they're the second part of this um, table of content. The third part to this table of content is a focus on value. Value is a key part because you can break a person's value upon what I call three particular areas. Money, the services that you're going to provide, or the products you're going to make when you're going to be involved in a particular professional occupation. Then the third key that I call the focus that is to do with value is relationships. So that's what I call the focus of value. That's what I refer to as the front line. So it shows people what are they aiming to accomplish that will provide value Mm. while participating in the language for leading. So that's the third part. It's the focus on value. The fourth part has to do with major concerns rather than assuming that somebody is already prepared for the future, yes? And even when they're engaged in using the language for leading, mm-hmm. one doesn't want to forget that there's part of the human brain that doesn't want to forget past experiences. They right. won't go away. They're obviously subjected to all kinds of different continuing incidents that reminds us of those past experiences. So to overcome those past experiences rearing their somewhat ugly head when we're engaged in providing a particular set of values, of course, 
what I refer to as the background conversations, which I mentioned as being in the number one part of the table of content, don't go away. So we've designed what we call an operating system as a real foundation. Because when you're dealing with, with putting together the values that you will actually invest in to have a successful future, your memory isn't going to just slink away and disappear. So the base of someone's life, like a foundation, requires a particular what we call an operating system. So the operating system is a key part of these table of contents. That's the operating system. The fifth part of these table of contents has to do with the fact that we are human beings. We're not machines. We're not robots. So as far as this background foregoing conversation that's in the first phase of this table of contents is a reflection on what I call two sides of our emotional and physical world. Um, some of you may have heard of Stephen Hawking, the famous scientist. Right. Um, he defied traditional medical treatment. So he wasn't just an expert, scientifically speaking, regarding what was going on in outer space, but he's also very interested in what was going on on the other side, the inner space. What goes on in our minds will tell us how to interact with what's going on outside of our bodies. So the fifth part of his table of contents, as far as how we're going to interpret the language of leading and make it work for us, has to do with the internal dialogue and the external dialogue. So that's the fifth part. What we refer to as what's going on internally and what's mm. going on externally. The sixth part of the table of content is a very important arrangement to put all of these different distinctions that you've now heard me point to as far as the table of content in a way in which you can use all of these distinctions in a particular formatted way. So let's suppose you've got to deal with moving house, or let's suppose you're now gonna take on a new job, or you're coming out of college, or you've gotten the habit of being late for a particular appointment. There could be all kinds of what I would call incidents that we commonly refer to when we're having to interface with those incidents, projects. I'm sure everybody's listened to the word projects over and over again. So we've designed a project leader formula. That's a way of organizing and pulling together all the parts of the language of leading. So when one's addressing by necessity uh, your own particular way of handling a new job, you're going for an interview, right? You're moving house, you're getting married, you're having children, they, all, they can be all right. kinds of limitless um, occupations or engagements. I refer to them as projects. So what we've designed is a project leader formula that will address everything that has been focused on regarding your address to the questions, as in number two, and how will you focus on the value based upon monetary matters, matters of service and productivity and relationships. But they're also part of the project leader formula. So we'll create a system which will take into consideration all matters, 
that someone's having to deal with. It's called the project leader format. The last but certainly not final uh, part of this table of content is to address concerns that people are having while they listen to the news, watch the repetition of conditions, and people are feeling helpless. They don't know exactly what to do as far as how they can actually uh, make some kind of a difference in the world. So what we're finding out is people are reacting. And that adds to the helplessness. People react without knowing what to do and make themselves feel any different than before they turned on the news. So a, f a piece of the language for leader, which is a key piece, is the word responsibility. Instead of reacting to feeling helpless when you turn on the news and hear that the climate is actually uh, going down in the wrong direction or whether the economies are going in a bad way or whether education needs revisiting as far as what on earth we're learning, instead of feeling helpless about the conditions that people are experiencing and thereby just simply reacting, we're going to introduce the word responsibility because I think people are able to respond based upon uh, providing for themselves the resources to act and behave responsibly instead of just mm. reacting. It's a great overview, and there's so much that we're going to dip into and explore and, I dare say, inspire people to, to think and feel. Today's episode has to do with the state of the world, if you will. We're also going to focus on the passing of a great monarch and a great woman. But uh, how do you uh, address the issue that people raise so much? I, I feel helpless. I feel out of control. I can't make a difference. You know, I feel burdened by what's going on in the news every day. Yeah, people are feeling all of those the above, but more importantly, they're feeling helpless. And when they're feeling too helpless, they don't know how to respond accordingly to what they would like to allow themselves to feel good. Feelings are important, but you don't get them at the supermarket. Hmm. You get them by having certain kinds of qualifications with people that are close to you. So instead of just looking out for more friends, you want to qualify the kind of friendships that you're having so you can entrust and very much in, in a way provide something in your relationship with uh, people who are close to you. The pandemic, which some believe is still happening in some parts of the world and country, but let's talk about it as though it's kind of come and gone, thankfully. That was a forced uh, restriction on connection, conversation, on life, on living, on work, on productivity, etc. Um, unlike anything we've lived through. Right. Um, but that's over now. So people are trying to get back. But you're right. We feel many people since that occasion helpless. Yes. And we need to have not just another how-to book. We need to have some form whereby when they're listening to information like this podcast, they can actually recognize uh, how to respond and how they can actually provide for themselves a way of responding given what other certain terrifying conditions going on around them. Some of those terrifying conditions can actually be very local. 
which they can probably talk to their neighbours about, talk to their relatives about, talk to some of their colleagues at work. But how you deal with a lot of the information that's being communicated over the airways, yeah, people are feeling more and more helpless and they're not being given solutions. We can provide for people a particular method so that actually not having to sort of go to the, 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 the pharmacist or go to their therapist or go to some kind of form of treatment where they can actually feel better. It's empowerment is what you're talking about. It is empowerment. Yeah. So let's let's dig down a bit deeper and give folks a sense of what we're talking about specifically. If I'm waking up uh, and I'm in an economy as we are now where I'm living paycheck to paycheck and it's always been a little scanty and now inflation is going through the roof and interest rates are high, I can't afford to keep the mortgage up, you know, these are these are real problems, logistical problems. But there's a way to approach these problems that will give us more a sense of empowerment. Why don't you take us through that? Yeah, because I've been interviewing uh, or rather having conversations with my clients recently to address this particular situation. One of particular areas where these concerns don't go away is when they're, they're, let's say, trying to sleep at night. And I think that's one of the greatest areas of importance where people need to actually put these concerns at rest, but not just ignoring them. They want to feel as though they can actually have access to a relationship they've already got, and they want to feel safe that they can share these fears and concerns with other people so that they're not having sleepless nights. Because I've looked at the ways in which people are losing sleep because they actually try to sleep while they've still got these fears and concerns mm -hmm. that are behind their feeling helplessness. So I show people exactly how to actually put these feelings in a way that actually they can act on these feelings and actually rely on interacting with their friends and families. Right. So you're not talking about compartmentalizing things and pushing them aside and burying Absolutely them so you not. can get shut eye. Right. But one needs to feel as if they have a system, an approach that actually allows them to feel as if they can do something about their feelings. Because people are feeling helpless and they don't quite know who to turn to because a lot of these incidents that are coming across the news airways are actually emphasizing that the world to a lot of people is out of control. So we need to bring the essence of being able to put a person back into control of their own lives. Because when you turn on the news and you hear about a war in this part of the world or the economy that's being uh, destroyed in, in other parts of the world, yes, or you're hearing about different resources, that the gas prices are going up through the roof, or more and more people are losing their jobs, of course, uh, you don't quite know how to anchor your own individual concerns because you have to start with yourself rather than worrying too much about other people. So the language for leading is designed a way in which actually can show people how to be responsible and how to actually uh, interact with people instead of just acting and reacting. 
we've had an opportunity, and people can listen in whatever order they'd like, but we've had an opportunity to talk about that foreground conversation uh, competing with the background conversation. We've talked about the basis of constitution, not the uh, written document, but the internal agreements you make and the internal promises you uh, propose to keep. So I think this is where you're you're headed, right? The institutional, uh, traditional ways, and many of them involve self-medicating and hiding, are not working anymore for people. Exactly. And we need a system that people can embrace themselves and feel safe. There's all kinds of different systems. You know, we are a living species of systems, and we need to have a system that we can embrace ourselves that shows us how we can put control back in our lives. Because right now, uh, we're worried about other external situations of which we've got no control. We rely on other authorities. We rely on governments. And people are actually losing their trust in whether or not the government is going to take care of us. Mm -hmm. Look, we've got the midterm elections coming up. As we record this, yes. And people do not know actually how to actually respond. Well, I'm glad you brought up uh, politics and leadership in general because let's reflect on a news event of the highest order that occurred just a month ago. And as we again record this in October of 2022, the passing of Queen Elizabeth, the longest running, longest reigning monarch in, in British history. And you had a lot to say about that. You and I communicated a lot about right. her passing. Right. But what did her life signify uh, beyond being the heir to the throne and all that in, in terms of how it relates to the language for leading in there's, your estimation? There's, there's several words, Jordan. And I'm glad you brought this up. Several words that come to mind. And one of the words is dignity. She had no official command over how her surrounding uh, uh, members of the British Commonwealth could actually conduct themselves. So she had to rely on some real fundamental principles of which she didn't waver from those fundamental principles. The speech that she gave at 21, which is now pretty popular, everyone has heard it by now, in which she staked out her her life's duty as a person. No matter she how long was, she, she was going to provide for the population within the Commonwealth uh, basically some entrust for herself, that she actually provides service. She was going to serve the members of the Commonwealth from the age of 21, and she never maneuvered from that particular stand that she took. So I invite people to consider the word that was actually underwriting, that which represented the Queen of England, and it's the word stand. She took a stand for service, and she never wavered from that. Even though in her own particular situation, she had no whip to crack, no stick to wave. She didn't actually have any legal or political authority at all. She just had to stand her ground. And people marveled at her while she was surrounded by really, really annoying people, actually, mm. even people within her own family. It's about setting an example. It's about the word you come back to often is responsibility, that personal sense of duty and responsibility. And you don't have to be a queen to incorporate that. Exactly. 
I mean, far from it, people have to understand how they can respond without creating a you versus me blame game. Unfortunately, we've we've turned words inside out to suit our own sort of pretentious, what I call egotistical maneuvers, rather than looking at the word respond. And responsibility requires us to look and see how we are all interrelated. The word that comes to mind as far as the word for which each of us is responsible as far as communicating on an interrelationship is a sense of purpose. I was just discussing this with one of my clients the other day. I said, when you were married, you betrothed your relationship with your spouse and you are communicating an interrelationship that I think is very, very important. It's a sense of purpose. And you're going to find yourself competing against certain incidents that may, in fact, uh, interfere with that particular vow that you made to someone, which is why I consider that marriage to be a very sacred institution. And if we actually treated our relationships as sacred, as based upon the day when we're actually uh, going through that ceremony, yes, I think that we can actually use similar uh, methods to establish a sense of purpose and follow those interactive rules upon which they will actually tell us how to respond. As you say, Julian, in the workplace, at home, with children, with bowling partners. It says it can it, it can and should incorporate our our pathway forward all the time. Yeah, and the Queen of England, you know, she lived a life and I remember the day I was born that she took that level of of almost unauthorized responsibility as being the queen without a big stick to wave or a whip to crack. And for 70 years, she was the person who people regarded respectfully rather than trying to follow a sense of governance because she didn't have the authority to govern. So I've, like many, many other millions of people, not just in the British Isles, but all over the world, couldn't find a fault with that lady. And it was marvelous. And so she set standards, and she did not waver those standards, which is why I think the word dignity has a conveyance between the word respect for others and honoring yourself. Because mm. I think we're, we're living somewhat undignified lives, especially when we don't know what to do about our lives when our lives are out of control. One of the things about the language for leading that I've learned working with you and being your friend is to uh, employ patience. By that I mean instead of jumping the gun and going in with all guns blazing, if you will, taking the time to talk with yourself, get, get a hold of that background conversation and foreground conversation, hold up, pull the reins, and then proceed. It's it's amazing what a little bit of patience and a deep breath can do. It is. And I want to make a point along those lines because we often um, misuse words, not because they, they're misused by their doctrinary definition, but because words are there if we use them correctly to provide a respect for who we are 
and a level of respect can be also conveyed when we're actually in difficult situations, when we're, actually, we're not feeling patience. Let me explain a bit more about the word patience. Because patience has an emotional connotation to it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Let's look at another word that's somewhat very similar to the word patience. What's a word that we often hear that is somewhat similar to the definition of the word patience? Uh, let's see. Calm, serenity, uh, understanding. How about tolerance? Oh, I was going to go there probably at some point. Let's tolerance. suppose those are two particular words that almost have a very similar dictionary <laughs> definition. Mm-hmm. But let's see how different the two words are. And that we'll see that when we are tolerant of certain things, we're tolerating certain conditions for which our relationship with those conditions will be pronounced by there being an agreement. Okay. And therefore, you've got a certain relationship with your physical world. And if you're not able to tolerate those certain conditions, right, I can give an example. And the example is if I'm walking around Manhattan, where my office has been located, and I walk past a certain doorway, and in that doorway, I'll notice that there may be somebody who's smoking a cigarette, and I may very diplomatically, my nice British accent, walk up to them and say, have you realized that there's a sign 12 inches from the left side of your head that says, do not smoke? See, I will politely and very aggressively invite them to stop smoking because, in fact, if my particular physical condition is in a certain way that because of my physical condition, I cannot tolerate having someone smoke or blow smoke. And there's a signpost to the left of their ear that says, do not smoke, then I will not tolerate that particular condition of which I'm now being exposed to, which is someone smoking, where the sign next to them quite categorically says, do not smoke. As opposed to the patient you who would, what, resign from getting involved and just hope that the cigarette burns itself out? Well, patience is an emotional (laughs) set of feelings, isn't it? Yes. And so uh, tolerance to me... I'm so glad you brought this up because I love words. Tolerance to me means I'll put up with it. I'm not happy about it. Patience means I understand. I'm more empathetic and I'll give you a little bit of rope. Yeah, it's 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 so important that we make those two distinctions. Very distinct differences. And the, the distinction is where when we're behaving, as I refer to it, as I've often said, as a force to be reckoned with, yes, we're communicating to other people in our lives that we mean what we say. And there'll be certain, on a certain occasion, we've lost a sense of meaning, especially if we're tolerating so many physical conditions of which uh, we're losing patience. So when we, we tolerate disagreeable conditions of which there are no shortage of disagreeable conditions, it doesn't surprise me that it's affecting our emotional condition, which is where the difference between tolerance and patience. You always mention this, and I go back to one thing that happens every day in my life and yours too, traffic. 
and drivers. And the fact that uh, you lose patience pretty quick and your tolerance level drops as well. Uh, One of the best favorite phrases, I won't call it a very popular phrase on the scale of being nice, is road rage. Mm. And I think if one interviewed, and I haven't done this, one interviewed the local constabulary or the police authority, as far as how many accidents happen as a result of people losing their patience and ending up in a road rage condition, I don't know what the statistics would be, but I'm sure the listeners would be very aware of the fact it's very easy to lose patience when someone is now steering in front of you, cutting you off, driving like a crazy person and not signaling. Well, that's a prime example of what I've taken to heart. uh, And we've talked about real life examples. And I now am into the level of relaxation to the extent that I don't let anybody bother me. Even that particular finger that is raised, I smile and move on. And it's made my life, me, my emotional life that much better. Yeah, I, I don't let it get to me. Well, this is, brings us to what I think is one of the fundamental pieces that make up the lounge of leading, which is that we have different conversations. We've got background conversations. And then, of course, we've developed foreground conversations, right? So our background conversations seem as if they've been around for an awful long time before we were to develop foreground conversations. And to explain a little bit more about a foreground conversations represent what is going on in the front of something, ahead of current conditions. Background conversations have been around as long as women are around as a human race. And of course, to bring that to a modern day sequence of situations, if you're driving on the road, right, as, as, as regarding either acting or reacting, yes, mm. uh, we're likely to react, aren't we? Mm, absolutely. Based upon the intolerable condition of which is maybe threatening our lives. So we, we react, not realizing that we are actually out of our control, out of our own control. So, of course, we then disable our ability to actually respond rather than actually realizing that we're losing patience because we're tolerating conditions that are going on around us. Every time I sit with you and we get into this discussion and bring metaphors into play, I realize you've got the perfect title for what you deliver, language for leading. It's all about language. It's all about about whether we speak it to ourselves or orate to others or vocalize to others. It's all about the words we choose and how we use them. Exactly. And we feel sometimes in difficult conditions that we've lost the ability to choose freely. So we feel as if we're now at the effect of certain conditions where we may have realized that we've actually lost control. Rather than having the emotional balance, which we have got built into our system. I started by asking you to comment on the state of affairs in the world. We all know that things are rocky everywhere, but you mentioned uh, the amount of bombarded information coming at us all the time, all of it negative for the most part from the press, the media, call it what you will. Give us a practical tip as to how to deal with the onslaught of bad news. Is it simply walk away, take a breath, go to nature? What do you what do you have to say? Well, about you that? can dis- you can take any one of those particular activities to ignore, and we've quite 
honestly do a lot of it. We do a lot of it. We ignore, we put our heads in the sand and or we deny that those particular situations actually happen because we seem to have the communication through news media which actually is not providing us with a sense of ability to respond with our own particular solutions. We're waiting for other people to do it to us. Ah, so true, so true. We're waiting for those talking heads on one side that we agree with to speak up for us. Right, rather than having for ourselves, well, what's my purpose in life? How can I put my own sense of purpose to work when I'm actually feeling very upset and disturbed, right? And of course, there are many, many examples of disturbing sequences of events rather than stepping back and looking at the big picture and saying, well, okay, if, if I've got my life at stake, how am I going to respond? And that's where the word purpose is built into our ability to respond. Of course, if you feel helpless, invite other people sit down with other people and have an open-minded, I call it an inquiry mm. or a discussion, rather than just presenting your own point of view on somebody. We're, we're built for community, aren't we? We yeah. are built for interaction, interrelationships. We don't do well when we're isolated. That's why prisoners in solitary confinement generally don't come out if they do get out in any better shape than they went in. Right, right. because they, they, for the beginnings of what got them into difficulties and ended up breaking up, because in fact, they were oversaturated, probably to a certain degree, by having a certain kind of authority thrown at them. So they were actually resisting being told what to do. And that may in fact be part of their parents, or it may be part of their school teachers, or their rabbis, or their priests. And I think we're actually seeing signs of resentment and we're actually allowing ourselves to respond in accordance to represent who we are. Doubling back one more thing about media onslaught and all the stuff we're being hit with. Um, I think if I'm reading you correctly, it's not about shutting everything off, turning it off, ignoring it, making believe it didn't happen. That's only pushing, again, pushing things into the box, and that box is going to burst at some point. But it's realizing you have more control and more power and more opportunity to, with purpose, lead your life. And yeah, things are going to affect you. The cost of gas is affecting me. It's affecting you. But I'm not going to let it rule my life. Yeah, and you mentioned a certain very key word a couple of minutes ago, which is the word community. I think the most sacred example of community is family. And if we've got any particular concern about what's going on in our lives, it's as wise to bring a dialogue in and around the people who are closest to you, your family. Because that's, in fact, when we do read news and read information that uh, is based upon what people go to fight for or spend their time relying on. It's a sense of family, isn't it? And you've shared with me and in turn with the world the fact that you grew up in what would have to be called a dysfunctional family. Yes. But you have a family now, a very happy one over the many years that you've been married. So you can, often people say, well, how can I 
possibly communicate with this family of mine. There are other ways to to bring about family in your life is what I'm trying to get at. Yes, and it's 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 the essence of this communal representation of who we are as a species. Now, I'm not suggesting that we be some sort of authority in a family, but we've got to reconcile any kind of difference amongst the members of a family by stepping back and asking ourselves, well, who are we as a family member? What is it that we represent in this family? So I invite people to consider the foundation of a very, very key word, which is the word constitution. We tend to use words that we've heard over and over again and have those words be misrepresented in different circles. So when we're actually inviting people to consider the word constitution, sometimes often people hear it the way they've been used to hearing it. What's the way you've heard the word constitution? We've, we've touched on this before. I, you, you think of the 1776, 1787, I should say, and a document signed by men with powdered wigs. Exactly. <laughs> now, just imagine that to look at the term constitution as far as one's relationship with one's family members, right? Mm. If you considered how to use the word and how to articulate the term constitution in a family discussion, right? What if it didn't have this prejudicial interpretation? that's got itself wound up in politics, right? If you put the word constitution as a way of representing your family, how would the word constitution perform in a particular representation of a family? It, it would provide structure. It would provide roles and responsibilities and an understanding of the true meaning and purpose of where, why we're here. That's what it would do for me. It's a compact, if you will. Well, it give ourselves a certain kind of familiar identity mm -hmm. rather than just one member of the family taking a position and trying to provide that position as a sense of authority in a family. Right. Uh, the, the concept of constitution, for the most part, politically, it involves some sort of representation and fairness uh, right. as opposed to a dictatorship. Um, final point, and then we have to move on because we want to get to another very important acronym and a system that you've devised. Of all the family members, hierarchical family members to look at, we come back to the queen, Queen Elizabeth, who had 70 years on the throne, but she had 96 years of life. And many of those years were fraught with family scandal and trouble and problems and issues. But she somehow... Well, she did the best she could, but she somehow stayed in play through all of it. And her, her family problems were known by everybody on the planet. Pretty impressive. Right. right. Amazing. And she was fraught with all kinds of, of degrees of, of uh, other people outside of her own particular perspective, right, throwing their weight around when there was so much contradiction as to whether the royal family was supposed to be allowed to continue. Mm. But she stood her ground, and she regarded her principles of service without falling afoul of other people's opinions. 
So she stood her ground and actually enabled not just a sense of authority, but she was able to represent the true nature of service. And I think we can all look at that particular example of family. Well, you've given us a lot to think about, a sense that we do have more internal power than we even suspect. And the language for leading is one way to discover it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Jordan. The conversation continues on the Language for Leading podcast with Julian Sturt, available on all podcast platforms. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review the show, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. The Language for Leading podcast, impactful conversation about fundamental principles that will grow your business and change your life for the better.